I really love creating relationships with people. And it's really nice to have a lead up with a guest where you kind of know them and you've had some time to chat with them outside. And, and this one is of particular importance because uh, Sejal Thakar is someone who um, I think we hit it off right away and we really enjoyed just chatting with each other. And a quick fun note is uh, her son and my daughter have been doing virtual uh, play dates, which has been a lot of fun kind of leading up to this. So I think the important note is that we're, we're spending time getting to know each other. And that's a big part of the theme of today's conversation with Sage Alice. Let's sit down and get to know each other. And I hope that you guys sit down or wherever you're at and you get to know Sage Alice. done talking about our kids connecting pretty regularly which by the way shane and rosie are having a great time chatting them they're just having a great time totally they so, are thank you for having me here yeah no it was great we've been it was, what's nice with you is um it's somebody that i've had fairly regular communication well before their appearance on the show so uh it's been neat kind of learning about you and you know, I watched your TED talk, uh, which was really well done. And I just want to launch in with that about how it came about and why that was so important to you. Yeah, no. And by the way, my son is outside. I just had to tell you this because he's sitting out there doing his homework and I go, guess who I'm talking to today? <laughs> and he's like, Rosie's dad? Yeah, <laughs> Shane. What's up, Shane? <laughs> he's out there. I'm like, you're always on all my podcasts. Um, yeah, I love that. His name comes up. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, so, uh, so what the TEDx talk that is really such a huge important part of where I'm at my journey, um, Darian and and so what led up to that was, you know, I, I talk about in that talk sort of bias this word bias, mm -hmm. and I've been training on that topic for several years. And I realized that there's a lot of work that we need to do in helping people to truly understand what that word means, because I think the word is just become this like negative, it's associated with negative things like racism, sexism, like you're this bad person, when reality it's, it's not that at all. It's just the way that we've defined it. And I think we're all seeing every day we're changing vocabulary now, right? Because we've just been used to this vocabulary. So I wanted to change that word's perception um, that people have of that word. And so in my training, what I started doing, I started replacing the word bias. So instead of saying unconscious bias, I would say unconscious belief. So I literally just made a tweak of the word mm -hmm. and the reactions with the people were totally different. Like they're relaxed. They were more welcoming to the information. They didn't disconnect. And so I started doing that. I'm like, we could really make a big impact and really get towards true inclusion if people really understood what bias was, that we all have it, it's normal, and what can we do about it to make sure that it's not impacting our relationships with each other. So that's really what led me to doing that talk. So in the talk, I break it down into three perspectives, right? And so we can go into each one of those, but really it's about looking at bias from the pain perspective, looking at bias, the paradox of bias, and then also talking about the power of that word bias. Mm. And so that's kind of lays the foundation for what I really wanted to accomplish with that talk. Yeah. Did, did you always want to do a TED talk? Was that like a goal of yours? Yeah, it was always on my bucket list. And, um, but way back there, like it was something that yeah. I was like, I'm going to do someday, you know, just like, someday I'll write a book, right? Like it's one of those things, right? If it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world, right? So right. It was one of those, it would be really nice. And so last year, one of my um, LinkedIn connections, we got on a phone call and she's like, I actually help people 
get on a TEDx stage and I think you need to get on one. And I was like, man, first of all, I'm trying to survive. We're in the middle of COVID. Like <laughs> I'm trying to make, you know, ends meet right now. I'm not worried yeah. about that thing. Um, but she was fantastic. And her name is Jennifer Myers. She helped me out with the whole application process. And then two months later, you know, I think we started that whole process like in August or September. And by like November, I'd already been accepted somewhere. So she's fantastic. And so if anybody that's listening or watching wants to get on TEDx, reach out to me. I'll connect you with her. She's awesome. Shout out to Jennifer Myers there. That's awesome. Yeah. Really cool. So what was the process like for you? Was it surprising or different than what you thought it would be? The process was totally different because I, when I was applying, I wanted to get on a real stage, you know, yeah, like I wanted, yeah. I'm a stage person. I do training then talking. So that's what I, that's what I really wanted to do. And plus who doesn't want to stand on that orange dot? Like I, know, I have right? to be on that orange <laughs> dot. Um, but, you know, uh, because of COVID and everything that was going on, initially they actually told me that I can fly in because the TEDx that I did was in Cleveland, Ohio, and yeah. I'm in California. But initially they said that I could fly in, um, but there would be nobody else in the audience. And I was like, fine, whatever. As long as I'm on the stage, it's cool. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then um, I guess the situation just, you know, it's just been so awful so that they said just to be safe, we're going to have everybody do virtually. So that threw a whole wrench in my, you know, it's nerve, it's nerve wracking enough to do something like that and prep for that. Then you add in the whole technology, the lighting, the recording, and that whole aspect. And I am clueless in all of that stuff. Like, I hate being behind. I could talk to you all day. Yeah. I could talk to a class all day. But <laughs> recording something, my lips start to quiver. It's, it's different. It's a weird thing. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. That's yeah. amazing. So I had to wrap my head around that. Um, but I got, again, um, super grateful. I had... A connection of mine. I was, everything LinkedIn. I mean, seriously. LinkedIn, so, man. LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, one of the companies that I do some facilitation for, um, who I met on LinkedIn, um, she, she and I were on the phone call. And this was like literally like a week after or, or maybe, sorry, two weeks after, because I sweated for a while of figuring out what I was going to do about that whole situation. So make it yeah. three weeks after that call. I spoke with her and she was so kind. Um, again, I'll give another shout out. Janine Yancey, um, CEO of M train basically was like, Hey, I'm going to, they do, they do online training and it's fantastic online training for, if you're looking for incorporating that into your, um, you know, your training plan or your learning management system, they have some amazing programs, but she was talking to me and she's like, we're going to be making some online, we're going to be recording some videos for our online programs. So we're going to have video people and things here, just come here and we'll do it for you. So she, wow. she, she did, she recorded, she had people record that talk for me. So that really made it a little bit easier too. So, and it looked great. It looked like really well done. Very professional. Shout out to Janine Yancey. Is that yeah. what it is? She was awesome too. Shout out to her. Yeah. I love yeah. shouting out people, man. It's something like yeah. very nice about just giving it up for people. I'm like, man, there's people helping people. You got to show yes, them love. You know? Totally. I'm all about that. You know, we've already got two shout outs and I'm sure we'll get a few more. Gotta and we got to give one to, we gotta give one to our man that introduced us. I, oh man. What? <laughs> we should have started with that one. <laughs> Total F up right there. <laughs> man. All right. You do the shout out. Shout all it right. out. Come Raj Supermeyer. Thank Raj you Supermeyer. for introducing us. Shout yes. out to Raj Supermeyer. Raj Superstar. Doing good do. things, man. A great dude. A great dude. And uh, who I love yes. contacting. Excellent public speaker. He is doing some amazing things. And guess what? He is doing two TEDx's. He just announced that. I saw it somewhere. He's definitely Man. got one and he's working on two. So he's doing two TEDx talks coming up. That's Go pretty Raj. cool. Yes. Yeah. He's got some great topics too, like diversity, inclusion, and technology mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And yeah, leadership really, development. Yeah. Like he's, he's like, a, uh, he's done a lot of speaking in the tech space. So contact yep. Raj. Yep. No doubt. So Sejal, tell me a little bit about early life Sejal. Let's, let's like, let's go backwards. Like where's the story begin? Yeah, that goes all the way back. And so that's the part of the talk that falls under the pain category. Mm -hmm. um, but there's more to that story too. Um, so my parents moved from India to Chicago in 1974. How does that work? I mean, India to Chicago. Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, my mom's sister 
her husband, so my uncle was an engineer, a civil engineer. So he worked for a company that sponsored him to come here to ah, work. Okay. And so they sponsored the rest of the family. And so we, we moved uh, to the United States in 74. And then, so I dealt with a lot of issues there too, because, you know, they just, like most immigrant families, they came from India, they, you know, spoke the Indian language, Indian food, the culture, the traditions, literally at home, it was like being in India. Yeah. And then you walk out your front door and then it's being in America. It's like, (laughs) okay. So it was kind of confusing for kids to wake up, you know, to grow up in that, in that, in that way. So I I always feel like I was, I didn't fit into either one fully. I was an outsider. That's how I felt my whole life and still do to this, to this day. Right. Um, but, but that also has, you know, at the time growing up, it was challenging and frustrating, but now looking back on it, I was like, that actually worked out to be able to help me do the work that I do now. Yeah. It's feeling like an outside, you can see things differently and a different perspective. And that's helpful in some situations. So, so I dealt with a lot of that situation growing up. Um, and then to, so there was a lot of sort of conflict at home with trying to help help my parents see why I was being who I was because I was living in the American it was just a lot of that at home and then Mm -hmm. outside the home what added on to that and what made it even more frustrating for me was we were the only Indian family and we lived in a predominantly Italian neighborhood whoa we were the only (laughs) Indian family growing up so of course we were different right yeah we were different we looked different we acted different everything so so I dealt with a lot of harassment, mm-hmm. bullying, that kind of stuff, discrimination growing up on top of what I was going through at home. And so it, it was a tough childhood, to be honest. And, and then, so, I, you know, and I talk about this in my talk that I asked a lot of why questions, you know, I was, I was always wondering why people were making fun of my parents' accents, you know, why were they teeping our home? Why were they toilet paper? Because I was like, I'm American, I was born here. And so, yeah. you know, just a lot of things didn't make sense to me at home. My parents were saying things like, you know, don't go out in the sun, you'll get too dark. And I'm like, what? I love being out in the sun. Why is that yeah. a big deal? And yeah. so, I kept hearing these things that just didn't resonate with me. And so I was always the curious, like most kids were curious, but I I was always asking those kinds of questions about why are you telling me I can't go in the sun or why are they doing this? And I'm always trying to figure out why people were um, being this way. So I was the victim of bias in a lot of different ways growing up. Um, And, you know, I found myself acting out. I was fighting back. I was talking back. I was getting in trouble at school. I was getting suspended. I was literally, you know, just kid growing up and dealing with yeah. that. a lot of rage coming out, you know? And so that, that situation started to get pretty South quickly. And um, after I got suspended for like the third or fourth time for something related to harassment or bullying or standing up for myself, um, I, I literally had this like moment where I was like, if I keep going down this path, I'm going to end up in jail or, or it's, it's not going to be good. Like I'm going to wreck my life. You know, I knew it, yeah. it was happening. Um, and so I just, I, I had lots of conversations. I mean, there wasn't a lot of support back then, Darian, there was no one to talk mm-hmm. to. You don't have anybody at school. You're the outsider, yeah. you know, you don't have anybody at home. It's not like you could talk to about this stuff, these kinds of I mean, we're struggling with having those conversations right now. It's true. So true. Yeah. (laughs) This was years ago. So you can imagine it was like, you're on your own, you know? And um, so we've seen things differently than these younger generations that are coming out. And that's a good thing, right? They they haven't been exposed to all of that, which is good. So when, when I hear people saying, oh, these younger generations are not, I'm like, yeah, but we need to do the work because we've seen it and we know what the reality is. They don't. So, yeah. you know, they, they're not going to tolerate it, but also they may not have the tools to dismantle these systems that we do because we've experienced it. Right. And so yeah. we're motivated, highly motivated, some of us to get these changes in place. Um, so, so yeah, all of that. And then um, that led me to law school. So I made the decision that I, I was going to not, become a victim of the situation that I was going through. How do I overcome it? So education became critical for me. I drew myself into the books. That was kind of my escape from all of that, you know, and I was like, I'm just going to work hard. I'm going to study and I'm going to just get out of this situation to one way or the other. So that led me to law school because I, I wanted to advocate be, I had the social justice aspects of me because of what I'd gone through. And so law school just seemed like a natural fit for, for me. Man, that's amazing. You know what? We got to do another shout out. It's coming for my friend Pratiti. 
I think her last name is like the same as your last name, actually. Oh, okay. And she's she's been on my podcast. She's amazing. She uh, grew up a little bit of India, moved to United States. Mm. And I'm telling you, you're talking to me. I'm like, this sounds just like her story. Well, like, it you got to connect so, us. That's after the show. I'm yeah. telling you, I'm going to connect you guys totally. because I think you have such a similar kind of growing up story. Yeah. And um, being from that culture and then coming into, you know, a different time and kind of be a singular kind of isolated feeling and acting out a little bit. So big shout out for GT. Her episode was awesome. You guys, I'm telling you, I was like, I got to, I have to connect. (laughs) I got to connect. This is the shout out show. about Yes, that's cool. I like it. Let's call it that. It's a shout out show show for people. So yes. Law Let's school. Keep doing that. Yeah. You're doing that. Was it fulfilling getting into that profession when you first started? How'd you feel about it? The whole thing? Yeah, I love I love being a lawyer. I absolutely love it. It's the right fit for me. You know, it's not a right yeah. fit for a lot of people. Yeah. That that being said, law school brings you out, and then there's a lot you can do with your law degree, right? So law school, I loved it. I love the knowledge, the skills. It's just a really perfect fit for me. But then when I came out of law school, I started off as a, you know, I did some workers' compensation law for a couple of years, and that definitely didn't feel like the right area for me. But what what really opened up my eyes was when I started dealing with workers' compensation cases that had an element of discrimination or Mm. retaliation in them. So now I started working, I got exposure to some cases where somebody got injured on the job. And then they they felt like they were then retaliated against, or yeah. then they were discriminated against. That started to get my interest going. Now I started feeling the light started coming to come on, and so that helped me transition to doing employment law, which is what I've done my, the rest of my career is working on harassment, discrimination, retaliation cases in the workplace. So that's what I've spent most of my career dealing with. Uh, for the initial parts, I was actually in court, so I was a defense attorney dealing, representing managers. So now I, this is the part of my talk that I talk about the paradox of bias, because I went from being the victim to now, I think most people would imagine that I would have been a lawyer for the people that were on the receiving end of bias, right? I flipped it. I went on the other side and I was representing management who was now then being accused of harassing or discriminating other Mm. people. So I got to see bias from a whole different perspective that I think most people haven't had an opportunity to see. So that's the part of the story that I talk about the paradox of bias. And some of that also, the paradox part is also about my dad. So going back to, I, I we, we didn't complete that conversation about yeah. not having support. My dad was literally the only person that I talked to about these situations. He was the closest I got to it. And we didn't have really deep conversations mm-hmm. on it. So we weren't like, but he gave me some advice that really stayed, has stayed with me in my life. And so that he also helped starting to help me see that you know, look, bias isn't just a one dimensional thing. It impacts Mm. all of us in different ways. And so, and then really saw that come out when I was now defending people in court. What was the, you know, I'm curious about the whole defense aspect of managers, because Mm. I feel like that's a side of the story that's probably not being told that much. It's always maybe the employee aspect of things. What about that would surprise the listeners or anybody about defense of management and harassment? Great question. And I really want to start talking about this more. I was just thinking about Mm -hmm. that in my podcast. I think people need to hear more of this side. Um, So really, you know, when I went into it, I, I, first of all, I had to work through my own bias in a really hard way. Like I had to do the work to be able to do a defense attorney work because I was on the receiving end. So this was a personal journey for me as well. And it's, it is for everybody who truly is wants to understand bias. It's a personal journey. But when I got in there and I started working on these cases, what I saw more of was people just acting out of unconscious bias or engaging in microaggressions because of their own lived experiences. There were a hand few and there are plenty of examples online that you can find people that were just racist, bad people, sexist, you know, just bad people. There are those people out there. I'm just going to leave them out of the conversation because we've been dealing with those people. Okay. So that those processes need to happen. I'm more concerned in raising awareness on the area that I don't think is being addressed enough is that 
there we are a product of what we've gone through in our lives and how we react to somebody is based on our own unconscious beliefs or biases right so so a lot of these cases that i was working on it was people just because they were making these comments didn't realize that it was stemming from a bias or how that might be perceived by somebody with a different lived experience those were a majority of the cases and so it is so important to realize that when we're dealing with people in this category, it's not about judgment. It's not about shame. It's not about making that person feel bad. It's about education and training and helping them see the other perspectives or at least get them to the point where they can recognize that we are going to have different perspectives. And how can you still be a manager knowing that and how can you be a better leader and so if we want to make better leaders we need to help people see that side of it um, and so i found myself educating people on this as i was doing this work right and realized that wow we can actually proactively make a huge difference here if people really understood it rather than the behavior continuing because anybody after a while if, if we don't correct that behavior and if it starts it's a if it starts off as a microaggression right so if we explain that by the way like just yeah. for some listeners they may not know what that yeah. term microaggression means you know? sure so it starts with bias which we all have and so all bias is is our brain's way of making sense of all this information that's constantly coming at us so without even knowing it you're going to have a positive or negative reaction towards somebody that you meet without knowing it. You're going to make a judgment call. It happens. It's spontaneous. Yeah. So that happens. And so let's say you've gone through something in your life. Like, for example, me, I was harassed and bullied when I grew up by Italian people, right? Those were majority Italian people. So now as a leader, if I am looking at who am I going to promote within my team, Maybe there's an Italian person on there that reminds me of my past experience. And even though they're qualified and should get that promotion unintentionally, because they remind me of my childhood, I don't give them that promotion. It happens without me knowing it. It's not that I'm a bad, I have bad intentions for that person. I'm well-intentioned, but unintentionally, it's going to impact my decision-making. So microaggressions are things like interrupting someone. It can happen in a lot of different ways, right? But because you have this negative or, so if we're talking microaggressions, they're negative reaction towards people. Microaffirmations are the opposite. Because you have a positive reaction towards somebody, you're going to engage in these subtle comments, subtle behaviors, hmm. certain expressions that you're going to make either positively or negatively towards somebody without even knowing it. Both of them, whether they're microaffirmations or microaggressions, can be harmful to people, right? So microaffirmations, somebody reminds me of my son. So now, without even knowing it, I'm giving them more leeway. I'm, being, I'm giving them a smile when they walk in the room. I'm being, um, giving, you know, letting them talk more or creating more space for them, all intentionally because they remind me of my son. Now microaggressions would be they remind me of somebody who's Italian so now I'm giving them a dirty look or not giving them space or not giving them an opportunity yeah. to talk I'm interrupting them I'm treating without without any bad intentions it's not about intention it's because it's happening unintentionally and that's the key so when we deal with that the only way to deal with that is by educating people and not shaming them not not letting that behavior continue the goal is to interrupt those situations in a right way in a respectful professional way and if you do that then you break this cycle of it becoming uncivil behavior if you allow that behavior to continue now that person unintentionally is going to continue in that behavior that could result in a harmful environment right and so we've been going about it all wrong we've been dealing with issues after they become a lawsuit after they become a problem mm. rather than flipping the script so i'm really trying to say let's really start at square one and that means it applies to everybody within the education within the organization whether it's the ceo or not you know and we have to get in, get into the habit of interrupting it early on with people and so you know i it's it's challenging 
because yeah. I've, I've had to I've had to be in that situation where maybe you're dealing with somebody of a higher authority and now you have to interrupt that it's it's not easy but it needs to happen if it doesn't happen in the right way right it's not about hammering that person again there's a whole way of doing it and this is the key it's 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 it can be very harmful if you don't do it in the right way right it can lead to consequences so that's why I do the work that I do in my training is really giving people and there are simple, you know, simple techniques, simple things that we can manage our bias. And, and so in my talk, for example, I give uh, I use a hat acronym to give mm -hmm. three simple strategies to help people manage their bias or at least start to become aware of it. Right. And then and then there's more that you can do. But it's all about education. So let's do an example of maybe the wrong way to go about it and a more positive way uh, to go about it and, and from your experience that you've had. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'll use an example of Zoom, Zoom meetings. Okay. Perfect. Right? We're on Zoom. We're I mean, it's Zoom. perfect. <laughs> so perfect example. Perfect example. And everybody's doing Zoom meetings for team meetings, right? So Correct. let's say I am, I am at a Zoom meeting and I notice somebody interrupting you. All right. So I see that this person is interrupting you, but nobody else is getting, they're not interrupting anybody else. So every time Darren starts to talk, it gets, Darren starts to talk, it becomes an interruption. Now I notice that. And so I, I, my red flag is going to notice that I, you know, and so the wrong way to handle that situation would be to jump on top of that person during the meeting and say, you know what, you are being X, Y, and Z you're being rude, you're being unprofessional, you're being racist, you're being sex, whatever, because you keep interrupting him. That would be the wrong way to do that, right? Now, I'm talking about interrupting, okay? So let's make that distinction. Now, right. if somebody is bullying somebody else, like in a very intentional way, now that requires a different approach. But we're, I just want to make that clear. So we're right. talking about microaggressions, which is happening from unconscious bias, okay? So- so that would be the wrong way to do it. Now, the right way to do it would be a lot of different, there's a lot of different options of how you can handle that, right? If there is, if there is safety within the group, if we all trust each other, we have that kind of relationship, you know, I might say something like, hey, you know, I would love to see what he has to say. I value his opinion. You know, let's let him finish. And I might just say it just like that, because then I am setting, I'm also being a role model for everybody else in that team to see that, hey, we need, to, we need to make sure that we're vigilant. We want to make sure that he feels included in this conversation. So we want to create that safety. So I can handle it that way. Again, very polite, politely, respectfully, also letting you know that, hey, I'm on your side. I see what's going on. And I want to, I want to make sure that you get your a chance to you know, value. I value your opinion. I want to make sure you have an opportunity to speak. So it sends you a message. It lets that person in a polite way know, hey, I'm calling you in. I'm noticing this behavior. And a lot of times this happens without the person because they don't know it, it's unconscious. Once you put that person on behavior of that, of the actual behavior, they'll stop, right? Because they don't want to make you feel bad. They don't want to make you yeah. feel excluded. So that's a quick way to just address it. Now, if I don't feel comfortable, maybe I'm new, maybe I don't feel like it's a safe environment, or maybe I'm scared, you know, of how to address it. I can wait for after the meeting's done and then have a conversation privately with that person to say, hey, you know, and again, it's about how you do it, whether you do it in writing or in person, you have to be very careful in how you approach a situation. So again, being politeful, being respectful, it's not about making that person feel bad, focusing strictly on the behavior. Hey, I noticed that during that meeting that we were on, you know, you were interrupting this person. And I don't know if you picked up, you know, if, if that was your intention, but just letting you know. And, and mm -hmm. just that's it. They're right. going to be like, oh my God, I had no idea. I'm not going to, I'm going to be more mindful of that. Right. I mean, for example, me, sometimes I notice this about myself when I get really excited about an idea or a collaboration, I start interrupting people. Like I've noticed that I've done that. So I have to slap myself on the wrist and say, stop, like calm down, you know, like you'll get your chance. Yeah. So we all have these issues. It's not, you know, but sometimes we don't realize that we're doing it and we need someone to tell us and remind us that it's happening, especially when it can make, especially when it can make somebody feel excluded, right? We don't want people on our team to feel like they're excluded now. So I could do it outside with that person and have a conversation with them again, how you do it. And if I'm still not comfortable and it's, it's now I have to use my discretion. 
do I want to, is this something that I want to raise with somebody else or talk to with somebody else? So I might, you want to make sure there's someone just, and it's not about getting this person in trouble or getting them fired. It's like, I just want to have a conversation with somebody. Hey, you know, I was, I felt it made me feel uncomfortable. How do you think I should have a space where people can talk about these issues, right? So it might just be talking about it with somebody and figuring, and that might make me feel better and say, okay, you know, I'll just see what's the best way. Maybe I'm going to monitor the situation. Maybe I might check in with you to say, hey, you know, I noticed this is there, you know, so it's just about figuring out and every situation is different too. So those are yeah. some, some ways you can handle it. Yeah. Oh, it's great. You know, I always feel like a lot of what we see is aggression against aggression. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of the loudest voice or the squeakiest wheel gets a lot of the attention. And so what we see, at least from my perspective, is a lot of like bashing other people. So if somebody's doing something wrong, just like, it's like you see it's like at a rally or something, you see two people just yelling at each other. and like, yes. what do you think's going to happen from that? Like nothing happens from that. Nobody's listening to each other. No. But then on the other side, I, I'm, I'm curious in your opinion about this is maybe the other extreme is where it's like, we are so focused on the language of something that it becomes so politically correct that people yeah. feel like they can't speak because they're so worried about the outcome of their words type of yes, thing, you know? I know it's, 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 here's, here's, here's my approach. Here's what I think will work. And that's just my, my two cents, take it for what it's worth. But this is what I see working in my little world. Um, but it's, it's what we want to do is create spaces where people can listen, can hear other people's perspectives, listen, and be able to share their own perspective without being judged for it. That's what we're trying to strive for is that, and, 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 and simply just the starting point is let's just have more of these conversations like you and I are doing to hear each other's perspective. That's just a simple start because bias comes from our limited perspectives from mm. our own lives. Yes. Right. So a yes. simple thing that we all do is just start listening to each other. And so creating spaces where we say, okay, you know what? Simple thing. Like let's do a check-in. Let's do a check-in on a scale of one to 10. Where are you at? And then just allowing that person an opportunity to speak, right, about their perspectives. And then everybody listen. And now go around. And you'll be surprised at what people volunteer, what they share. And as we start to open up our perspectives, right, we start to see that, whoa, we actually have a lot in common. Here I was thinking I was all alone in what I've gone through. And now I get in a room with people that have gone and felt like when I talk to people that have felt excluded, which is every single one of us, but I hear their stories of exclusion, I feel a bond with that person because I've gone through that. You know, I don't look at it like who's worse than who. We've all gone through it differently. I feel an immediate bond towards somebody. Like my heart starts to feel it, you know? That's what we want is more of that heart connection, right? And so by creating these spaces, it's simple. It, I think we comp, like you said, we get so hung up on the words. We get so caught up on making it so complicated. It doesn't have to be. And so like one of the things I talk about in my TEDx talk, right, is take action. Golden rule versus the platinum rule, right? We've grown up with the golden rule of treat others in the way that you want to be treated. That's not the way we want to do it. Because the way I want to be treated may not be the same way you want to be treated. How you want to be treated is based on your lived experience, yes. right? It's more about treat people, so I call, you know, it's the platinum rule is treat people in the way that they want to be treated. And the only way you can do that is by getting to know them. Exactly. That's, I think that's what's the, the different, there's, there's, there's always these two sides. It's like, you know, what we're doing is what you're, I think, aspiring to do is having a meaningful conversation with yes. another person, understanding where they come from, how they grew up, where they're at now, their experiences, but the other kind of insidious side of it is we have this great technology and people often use it to yes. have this one way communication where they say something they probably would never say to the person's face. Yes. And then it stokes this, you know, you don't know what the reasoning is. Is the person saying it because they want to get more attention, more people to read it? There's this weird psychology. But if you're in front of somebody and somebody said something really outrageous, they would see your face. They'd be mm -hmm. like, what? 
and, yes. and it's more difficult to run this line of thought of like really outrageous behavior, extremist ideas, when you feel the tension and the, and the pain in the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're bad. I love what you said, your bias. It's, it's a limited experience. It's based yes. off your limit. That I don't think I've heard it put that way, but that's so such a home run in saying it that way. But that's the truth, right? That's yeah. what, I mean, what we've gone through determines our view of what we, how we interpret Correct. things, what we see. And so if we just start expanding that view mm-hmm. and just, I mean, the difference between our, so the difference between, and so I want to clarify this too, the difference between conscious bias and unconscious bias, right? There's a huge difference and how you deal with those two situations is different. But if you think about it, just if you take all the biology and all of that psycho babble stuff out of the picture, it's a really a matter of speed. Your unconscious bias operates at the speed of light versus our conscious bias, which is a matter of we are intentionally now deciding to take certain actions. So going from unconscious to conscious is slowing the thinking process down. So these automatic judgments happen so quickly that if I see somebody and they remind me of something that I've gone through, it's going to have a snap judgment about that person. We want to slow down our reaction time to say, okay, that initial judgment I had is based on my experiences, which are valid, which is my life, which is my, what I've gone through. But now I'm acting today. Is my action right now in line with that judgment that I'm making. And the scary part is most of the time it's not because that judgment is based on something you went through years ago. And so now you just want to make sure, am I acting in accordance to my current beliefs? So the more that we can do to expand people's beliefs because they're locked in limited mode, then they start seeing this. And I've seen this happen so many times with conversations I'm having with people it's light bulbs are going off. It's like, it's everyone is, oh, wow. And getting these diverse, and especially when you get diverse people in the room, when I look on a screen and I see all the diversity and now we start sharing our experiences, it is, it needs to be like a whole different religion. Like that's what people should be doing more of. It's focusing their time on is, is getting to hear these different perspectives and how that brings people together. It's just humbling. It's it is. And you, you know, what's interesting one of the greatest things about growing up for me is I grew up in a military family. And so we lived all over the world and I always met people who didn't look like me and shared different experiences, different customs and cultures. And I feel like it really affected me as an adult because it wasn't like I grew up somewhere. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying it's not like I grew up in the same town and I saw the same people and I had the same friends like I, you know, there's a positive to that. I, yeah. I just never had it growing up, but I also, it, it expanded my worldview. I knew by the time I was in college, I had met almost any type of person that had ever has ever existed on the planet. And it, it affected how I saw that, how I interacted with them, how I, how I knew people. And I think that's one of the better things you got to get your, put yourself out there, talk to people who don't look like you, yes. who don't think like you who are in different parts of the world. I know, you know, in the pandemic and stuff, but you know, as we come out of this and stuff, I'm telling you, see other places, talk to other people, even in the United States, just go to different parts of the United States. It might as well be a different country. (laughs) It's it's so eclectic and diverse in the United States. You could travel just across the United States and gain a tremendous amount of insight into bias, conscious and unconscious. And and just mm-hmm. you yeah. sit down with somebody, you know, the whole thing, you break bread with somebody, that whole term. Yeah, that's so true. Because when you sit down, you break bread with somebody, you talk with them, it changes the gears in your mind about how you feel about that person, you know? Yeah. And and, and, our, and how we feel about ourselves. Ourselves, yes. Plenty of research, right, that shows that when we're connecting with people, things are happening up here. We're, you know, we're rewiring, we're healing, we are, you know, becoming more present. And so there's so much of it. And, and I think we've just, it, it's, you know, I've traveled a lot too. And I've had some of that, not as much as it sounds like you've done a lot more than me, but I think we both agree, right? It's just, we're so interconnected. And mm-hmm. as you hear other people's perspectives, you start to gain that interconnectedness. And that's what we need if we're going to be a community together is 
knowing if we want to know that people are going to have our back and that we're going to be supported by each other, we need that interconnectedness. And unfortunately, our systems haven't been set up to allow us to do that. Yeah. They've been set up to divide us. Yeah. So that's just the real, I, I break it down. You know, I'm hearing a lot of systemic racism mm. and I've been saying it too. I'm even coming way simpler than that now, Darian. I'm just saying the systems were set up to just divide us. If we could just look at it very just simply, now we need to set up different systems that are going to unite us, right? So instead of this man, I, I just, I'm going to get away from saying systemic racism and systemic this and that. It makes it just so big and we got to break it down. And it's all true. So I'm not saying it's not true, but in order to get it back to where we all truly want, I think we have to do it very simply. Everybody needs to acknowledge that these systems were set up to divide us. How do we create better systems to unite us? And let's just figure that. So let's just solve that problem, right? And then we can get there. But I think people get tripped up in just... The words, it's good. how do we get there? We don't know, you know, and it's like, yes, you do. You do know we're, we're talking about humanity. You know, it's not, it's, it's just about what would, you, what would you want? Would you want access? Would you want the same medical treatment as somebody who was black or a person of color? Of course you would, right? And so it's just breaking it back down to the basics is what would you want for your loved ones, your family and, and equal, as far as equal opportunity access and all of that goes. And let's just all get into it and do the work. And it, it, it could be whatever, wherever you are. I think some people feel like, well, I'm not, at the, I'm not out there with my sign at the, you know, at the rally. So, I'm, you know, no, just what, whatever you're comfortable with it, but do something. Let's keep pushing in that direction. We need to do that now, right? Because otherwise I'm, I'm really, I really feel like it's scary if we don't, you know, yeah. because the divide, it seems to be at certain days, I feel like the divide's getting bigger. Other days, I feel like the divide's getting smaller. I don't know. I'm not staying on top of the, the bigger picture, mm. but I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that the divide is getting, you know, I'm trying to get it to so that it gets smaller, but I you know, know what's, yeah. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. I feel like I've had a lot of discussions about this and I feel like we've placed a lot of our, our, I would say faith in our, you know, rulemaking into larger institutions are going to make these changes to change the system. Yes. Like, okay, the system wasn't set up this way, but we're, we're asking that larger system to make the change. And really, it's the people that make the change. Well, you know what? Let's do this. Let's just get out of that mindset. Like, yeah. we're going to do this right now, okay? Forget it. Like, let's just create new systems. Yeah. Who's th what's stopping us? You know, I mean, what's stopping right. us from going out there and creating better products with unbiased AI? Who's stopping us from doing yeah. that? The systems, if, if these people, if the companies that are there don't correct their systems or don't dismantle their systems, they're not going to make it. They might, be, they might be the big systems right now. They will crumble. Yeah. So let's just create bigger, better systems, you know, and, and do it and, and put the resources behind it. And I'm really like excited. You know, I joined a venture studio. Shout out time, right? Shout out. <laughs> Give another shout, shout out. out. Time. All right. Mark <laughs> McNally, the CEO of Nobody Studios. Yes. Shout out time. Um, so he's the CEO of Nobody Studios. And I'm, I just recently joined as their chief culture officer, but they're a venture studio. And, you know, one of the things as you know, that I'm really passionate about, because I'm not leaving my passion. And so as we were talking about me joining their company, I'm doing it like on a sort of a fractional basis yeah. right now was I don't want to give up my passion right now. So am I going to have to stop talking about the things I'm talking about and what I'm out there wanting to accomplish? Because then I'm, no, he's like, no, I just want you to come in here and walk the talk. <laughs> I was like, perfect. I will do that, right? But it's, 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 he's all about, let's create better products. Let's create systems, new products that can trip, you know, that are, if these new, the companies that are right here that are doing it right now are not checking their AI, let's say, for example, for bias, let's create products that do check it and put that out there. And what do you think is going to survive? We just talked about it, right? I mean, it's diversity is here to stay. Globalization is here to stay. I mean, if you look at just the research, the statistics, if these new products and companies don't cater and don't make sure their, their AI is unbiased, or they're taking into account the needs and wants of their customers and their employees who are all diverse, they're not going to make it. Yeah. How can they? No, because the world is changing. And, and this kind of brings up a little bit of point of there's kind of two sides to whole, you know, people say cancel culture, the whole thing like that. Now there's kind mm -hmm. of two sides to it. There's the side that I think some 
people go into like what's too aggressive and you know you got to have allow people to grow and stuff on the other side of it if you look on both sides of it it's an it's it's kind of an, an objective to try to correct things and say hey we're no longer going to be using these old systems so you need to start moving towards newer systems because we're not going to allow this behavior anymore and so it's you know how you wield that there's some finesse in that you know sometimes you jump too far into the ocean it's like hey we should have just paddled a little closer to the boat on this not so far initially but the idea i understand the idea that you can't allow people to have continue to have this poor behavior in whatever form that means yes you know, we got to move forward and this old way of thinking cannot survive anymore. It won't, you know, it's, it's two, two things I want to say about what you just said that are just resonate with me is one, we are not trying to change people's perspectives. That's not what we're doing. That's why I, 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 I really make it clear. And that's why I approach my work the way I do is civility. We can change behavior. Right. So if we're at, for example, we just focus in on the work environment, right? I start at work and hopefully that happens everywhere. But at work, we can say we are, we are going to treat everybody with dignity and respect. And any behavior that does not meet that value, that core value of our organization is not going to be tolerated here. We can say that. Now, people either choose to or they don't. For the ones that don't treat other people with dignity and respect, now, depending on whether it's coming from your unconscious bias or your conscious bias, we address that right away. We don't allow it to continue like a lot of these companies that we see today have allowed it to continue where it's normal. We don't want that. We're not going to normalize uncivil behavior. Right. What we're going to make normal is civil behavior going Correct. forward. But that also requires a component of when people are acting not according to our core value, it means empowering people, every single person in your organization from top to bottom, empowering them with the skills to know what to do in those situations when there is a microaggression, when someone that is harassing or bullying someone. When someone is discriminating, what do we do in that situation? So that if we're in that Zoom meeting, all of us, somebody knows how to handle that microaggression that happened to you, right? Because we can't wait for you to speak up because you're on the receiving end of that. And really, it's not your job to do that. You may do that because you feel comfortable, like I don't have a problem correcting microaggressions in the right way because I, I, I know it's an opportunity for learning. And I want to take that opportunity to teach people. I want to do that. I do that for a living. But somebody that's dealt with microaggressions their whole life, who's been traumatized, may not, is is trying to survive. They're just trying to get to the, they're trying to get to the table. So it's not their job then to speak at the table. If they they want to, they can. It's everybody else that's watching what's going Mm. on. It's the bystanders that need to speak up or address it in the right way. Yes, that's so powerful because I think in the past we've seen a lot of like, you know, somebody watching the car crash, you know, they come out there, everybody watches it, they saw it, you know, or they experienced somebody being talked to poorly, you know, or they were, you know, racial slurs and stuff and they didn't say anything. They didn't do anything about it. And I, I, that's what I think I think is being kind of pushed out of society. And I was like, Hey man, you can't just allow that stuff to be said. To other people like you have to we have to have some level of the right way of intervening yeah again because sometimes i think we jump to this wrong way of intervening and, and that violence creates more violence and it creates the aggression creates more aggression and then people yeah. get really amped up and then they lose their thoughtfulness and response yes. and it becomes very primitive brain based totally. responses it's just aggression yeah. nasty aggression you know yeah. so it makes a lot of sense you know and, and, the, and the opposite of that is really harmful too, not doing anything. Yes. So you can go on one side and be too aggressive mm-hmm. or you could just do nothing. And that's also very harmful. We, we yes. can't not do anything in those yeah. situations. We've done that for too long and we just can't do that anymore. So you got to do something. Now, what yeah. that something is, there's options. But you, we can't have you say, I'm not going to do anything when someone is discriminating against somebody. Yeah. We cannot allow that. Even microaggressions, we need to handle those in the right way. Mm-hmm. 
in the right way. And I keep coming back to that because again, I think there's so much misinformation about how to do it and what to say, but in the, it always, here's the thing when it comes to civility, right? We have to walk our own talk. So if I, if I keep saying I'm the civil chief civility officer, and then I'm treating everybody else, you know, uncivilly, mm -hmm. it's not going to work, right? We have to be mindful of our own actions. We're not perfect. We're human beings too, right? But yeah. we have to make that commitment that, you know what? Because there are going to be disagreements. When we put different people together in a room together, there are going to be different perspectives, differences of opinions. We're not going to agree all the time, and that's okay. But what we have to do in those situations is make that commitment to treat each other with dignity and respect, even in those situations. But also that when we see other people not being treated with dignity and respect, that we do something about it. We cannot be complicit. So that's really, you know, that's what I'm going to be, hopefully, I'm trying to accomplish that at Nobody yeah. Studios is setting up that core value and really making sure that we align the behavior within that core value, because they're going to be, we're going to be scaling. I keep saying they, and I'm like, wait, now I'm a part of them. Yeah. We're going to be scaling pretty quickly here. Um, I mean, the CEO wants to, I think he wants to do like a hundred companies in the next five years. So we're going to be going quick. And I want to make sure that we really set up the systems, the policies, the procedures, the, the culture in a way that everybody knows that you're welcome here, you're included here, and we want you to speak up and, and address these situations when they're happening early on so we don't end up there. Because I don't want to see anybody on that side anymore. And I've seen it yeah. in my career, and it's heartbreaking. Shout out to Mark McNally. Yes. Doing big things, big <laughs> things. So my, my last thing to say on this, I would say, is too, it was very personal. You know, you have a son. I have a daughter. If you have children, inject these beliefs and values into your children. And one of the best things you can do is raise a good human. And you raise an amazing human that has this arsenal that they believe in dignity and kindness and love and they treat other people well. You, you've, just, you've just put somebody else into society that's powerful, yeah. that will help lead other people and be good to other people. So I think even beyond work, it translates into the origins of us with our, our the pipeline of, of people that we come from yes. and those things. I, love it. I think that's really uh, important. So Sejal, you're amazing. You are too. That was beautiful. Thank you. How great. Just Listen. I feel so good here listening <laughs> to you. Yes. It was just wonderful to have you on. I knew this was going to be a lot of fun and powerful and it, it certainly has. Uh, been all of those things. So thank you thank so you. much. Thank you so much. Yes. And uh, I will be in touch. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>